Yes, I'm joined again with uh, my good buddy in Australia, Carnifex. How are you going, mate? Yeah, great. Good day. How many Carnifexes have you painted this week? <laughs> None at all, thank God. But uh, 30 termigants. 30 termigants. Okay. I've seen your yep. progress there on the, on the Discord. So you're going strong there, mate. You're doing contrast paints? I am, yeah. I tried them out. It's been pretty good. I'm still waiting for the new ones. They're on back order. They're yet to come out. Can't wait to uh, unleash them on poor suspecting models. Unsuspecting. <laughs> I've got a feeling we can do an entire episode, like an entire show on just paints because um, uh, Angel Geraldes, the uh, famous painter on now YouTube and former uh, painter at Corbus Belli, um, he posted up a teaser pic of a new range of game color paints from Vallejo. So really excited to see what they're going to be like because I really like the game color range from Vallejo now. So if they're going to, if they're going to do some like kind of semi contrast kind of style of paint or that they're fully contrast paints, um, that'd be really cool to see. And I'll be definitely interested in picking up a few of those because I can get them here in Japan easy. Um, so that'd be really nice. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. Big sucker for the dropper bottles. Yeah, me too, mate. I can't go back to the flip top lids. Uh, even that's where I sort of started. But yeah, no, I can't go back. I think that, yeah, the dropper bottles is much, much better. But um, anyway, mate, what's been happening in our community in concern with, uh, in relation to painting and hobby? What what have people been doing, mate? Well, I guess before I even get to that, um, we have to, and you might touch on this a bit later, but we've had our 300th Discord member who is, his nickname is Mark Smith, which is kind of, if it's his real name, it's a good pun on Mark's, Marksman as well, I guess. Um, but we, we've got more than 300 uh, Discord members now, but Mark Smith uh, basically is the 300th, so congratulations. It's a huge well, influx of people, which is great. Yep, brilliant. Good to see. Uh, so, Mark, welcome aboard, mate. And um, there's been a few other people since then, like you say, that we've gone over the 300 uh, member mark. That's pretty amazing. Uh, we're over 750 members in our Facebook community group as well. Um, so I'm really happy to see that as well. It's sort of growing and sort of without even me noticing, I just noticed the other day, oh, wow, we've got 750 people. That's incredible. So that's really good that we've got um, a, a community sort of growing. Maybe yep, hope to hear a thousand maybe. Because people are find, they're finding the links in the in the show notes and the podcast saying, oh, wow, you've got a Discord. Oh, well, you've got a Facebook group. So don't, don't forget to check those out because you'll find links to lots of other things in there as well. Awesome. Um, so moving on, uh, basically uh, a lot of people are back from holidays, etc. So the painting chat's been pretty busy uh, in the mornings and afternoons, Aussie time, and very late night. So when all the Euros come on and we've had a big mix of people uh, like Space Crusader, Whiskey and Wizards, Clem, Marcel, Chris uh, from WA and Mustering of Arms and even Chris Snyder as well, all chatting up a storm. Everyone's been working on all, um, all different stuff. Um, and one thing that got mentioned quite a lot is GW has been doing these limited runs of really old models, like, um, for example, the mutated like Beastmen from Blood Bowl. Um, there's some Skaven coming out soon and Chaos Sorcerers, I think, are on the horizon. Um, I think pricing wise, it's probably going to be on par with something you'd get off eBay unless you, you get um, 
like a real good bargain. Uh, but it's kind of cool. And hopefully you'll you'll see something be re-released that's actually something you need. That'd be cool. Wouldn't mind getting a cow saucer. Um, yeah. yeah, cool. And quite a quite a few people have been doing um, like actually going out and playing games. Uh, and I don't mean uh, like remote gaming uh, because people still do that, obviously. But actually going out and playing games against other like members on the Discord, it's really cool to see. Or just playing with their mates, um, love to see the pictures. Like Dingleson recently played uh, Second Ed 40k. It was Orcs versus Nurgle. Um, there was a horrific picture of a great unclean one just stomping up to some really well painted, beautiful orcs and just wiping them out. Poor little buggers. Um, lots of family. Families playing things like Battle Masters and Heroes Quest. It's really cool to see really young kids playing stuff like Battle Masters, getting their sort of creative juices flowing in their brains. They're using both logic and imagination to play these like really cool, cool little games that probably got us all into the hobby. Uh, really encourage that. And it's sort of heartwarming to see that and very nostalgic. Um, Covering Fire finished off his June entry as uh, Chaos Dwarves. Um, excellent old Hammer style Chaos Dwarf characters. Really, really love to see Chaos Dwarves. Never see them enough. I know some people might not like them, but uh, I think they're very cool and unique, especially for Games Workshop. And um, just touching on, Owen actually uploaded a review and a story of a D&D Minotaur uh, mini. Um, so if you go into Owen's little channel, you'll see a cool YouTube video on that. Um, we've had a lot of good rules discussions recently, especially about Epic, because um, we've got a rules question section. So if you guys ever have uh, questions about games, you can pop them in there and they might get a bit more uh, attention than popping them in like a gaming channel where they might get flooded with pictures. <laughs> um, one pretty cool thing I saw was Princeps uh, Tom, who always manages to make fine artwork out of his minis he did some warmaster uh, forest dragon bretonians they look really excellent and he also painted up this beautiful uh mana war galleon it's got like this really brilliant yellow on it it's fantastic and uh captain crayon has this really cool and rare sort of uh group of goblin netters and clubbers that's something I used to see in White Dwarf all the time, not something I would see on the tabletops a lot because they're kind of, I, I don't know about you, but I, I found them a bit rare to see um, when I was playing. Not that uh, I played Warhammer. Yeah, I think I think mostly all the metal night goblins were very, like the units of night goblins were really rare anyway. Um, yeah. So because, you know, you needed a whole bit, bunch of them. You needed like 20, 30 guys. So no one was going to shell out that much money for buying those blisters and blisters of like, I think you got four or blister. And um, it was funny listening to like an Andy Chambers interview recently with the Bring and Battle guys on their podcast yes. uh, because he was mentioning about the biggest selling uh, war machine, which was the Goblin Doom Diver because it was the cheapest one you can buy in a blister. And that was like worth a hundred points in the game. So they had just, they just couldn't keep up with demand of the Goblin Doom Divers uh so it was quite funny but um yeah in terms of plastic like they had all the plastic infantry the archers and the and the spearmen so that's what everyone would bring so finding metal night goblins is so rare 
uh, these days on marketplaces, that kind of thing. Yes, it's awesome to see people like Captain Crayon and uh, Mustering of Arms painting up uh, these older metal goblins. Uh, they look excellent in formation as well. Um, and I don't know if you've seen it, but Mergin, I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, M-E-R-J-I-N, I think it's Mergin, uh, did these really beautiful Skaven uh, and they're done in this like fantastic sort of old hammer style, but uh, quite some quite bright colours on them too, really makes them stand out. Really, I, I really love that. Um, and yet again, I've been seeing Chris Snyder working on his Epic Orcs, um, like little stands of knobs and stuff like that and bikers really cool excellent uh coloring uh something like i'd aspire to do once i finally get around to doing epic stuff um and just yeah all, all over the discord pretty cool little things popping up here and there of what people are working on and it's always good to have people pop into the paint and chat and just ramble on about random stuff or what they're doing and the techniques they're using um you see people like whiskey and wizards going nuts painting these beautiful stone trolls i think that's for commission every single scale is highlighted on them and they're like got really rocky scale all over their body must drive him mad but it looks excellent really well worth the effort very cool indeed so that's great to see that uh, the community is really uh, active there on discord and doing some great things um and inspiring a lot of people in the community that's awesome um Let's see uh, what else has been happening on the channel, on the YouTube channel. We've uh, got a our latest uh, My First White Dwarf with Clem. Uh, that's Clements. He's from the UK and he's on our Discord and on our Facebook groups. Um, so he reached out and said, Josh, can we do this uh, issue together? Well, there's issue 132. So we covered that. So if you want to go and check that out, uh, it's up there now on, on the YouTubes. And before that, we did a battle report, me and Paul, of uh, the Renegades from Epic Space Marine uh, with Chaos and Elder at four, at 6,000 points. That was a big game. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed playing that one. Uh, so they're the two sort of latest videos that are out on, on the YouTube channel. Uh, but coming up, we have a chat with Eric, Eric in Canada, uh, with some confrontation lore, this time focusing on the Midnor. Dwarves, uh, which are one of the factions I'm really into, and I know that um, Carnifex really likes them too. Um, so we're going to bring some confrontation uh, uh, sort of love to the channel uh, very soon, and we sort of sort of start getting back into doing that again. Uh, and also the tutorial for the uh, the picture you saw on the community section on the YouTube channel of the High Elf Champions horse, that is now in uh, post production, and I've just wrapped up doing all the uh, a video uh, audio overlays for that and i've exported it out so i'm going to upload that i'm going to put on patreon for the first week so all my patreons thank you very much to all 29 of you who are supporting me and um and buying me a coffee every month so i really appreciate that guys so you get to watch that for the first week and then i'll release it onto the youtube later so everyone can have a look at it. anything else we need to mention and go over at all kind of uh any competitions that we haven't already gone through or announced at the moment well, we buggered up. We buggered up. Well, I should I should say I buggered up the orc one, the um the orc one. But I think that's going to be in August. I think uh, I think October, wasn't it? October. Yep. Which is October in English. Indeed. So uh, we're going to leave that till then. I think the postage situation is sort of alleviating now, and I think we can actually send things out out of Japan, um, which is incredible. 
So let me let me double check on that, and when when we have um, more confirmation on uh, the postal status here in Japan, uh, we're going to sort of yeah, get that um, out for uh, for a competition prize win uh, uh, as a prize, which would be pretty amazing, uh, as it's new in box and it's ready to be deployed on someone's battlefield when they play their orcs next time in second edition. Um, now, other competitions. Uh, we did have like the painting competition uh, for our Discord that we recently wrapped up for Necromunda. And unfortunately, I was so waylaid with everything else, I just forgot to do one for July. Uh, but we do have the Crown of Command 2, uh, sorry, the Call of the Crown 2 uh, painting challenge yeah. coming back. Now, my good mate uh, GJ in the Netherlands is going to run that one. And um, he's listed up all the requirements to, you know, how to enter, what you should enter, and how long the, the challenge will be going for. You can still enter if you still want to do that. Um, I'll leave a link in the show notes for that, but you can go straight to our Facebook group and it should be posted up there as well. Uh, in fact, if I haven't pinned that announcement, I'll have to do it today so people don't miss that, um, miss that one. So... Anything else I've missed at all, mate? I think that just about covers it. Um, yeah, not not that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure that uh, we'll think about something later on. <laughs> As you can tell, we never write up show notes. So it's always off the top of our head when we can think of it. And um, so, yeah, I did start a mate. I, I did write show notes for the first, I think the first or second episode we did together. And ever since then, I forgot to do it. So I'll need to do that. So we're not missing anything in vital information. I think you're getting into that territory now where it's like, is it frowned upon? Is it not? Like a lot of podcasts <laughs> are very against sort of pre-written shows, but um, yeah, well, yeah, it's good to have notes. Yeah, I think it's good to have notes. We have notes. Yeah, we should have notes. Yeah, yeah. So if we have any important stuff, because I, I always at the end think, ah, oh, I forgot to mention that and I, I should have done it, but I forgot about it. And being, being me being such a forgetful fella, then it's, it's, um, it's bound to happen. But... Uh, look, man, you're churning out that much gold content at the moment. Um, I have to mention that episode uh, with Tim Prow was it was it was uh, real mixed emotions from I think everyone in the community who's listened to it. Um, it just sort of cemented. Uh, it brought up a bit of history that people might not know about, and um, yeah, it's very very interesting. If you haven't already listened to that, which you should have, um, I definitely recommend you listen to that episode. Yes, yeah, it was really great to catch up with Tim. Uh, he sounds like a very forthcoming type of guy. Uh, very happy to, to just to chat and um, give up his time to do that for us, which is awesome. Very uh, cool. I've tried with many other people from uh, like X Games Workshop members, and they just would not message me back or even respond. Unfortunately, Bill King, uh, he did respond a couple of times. Um, now, this is the famous writer and author of um, Godric and Felix novels, and the man behind the the whole um, the basis of a lot of these characters and and backstories to all the army books from fourth edition onwards, and create a lot of the lore for Warhammer. Uh, we have been in touch a couple of times, and unfortunately, Bill's been in really uh, bad health, so that's Damn. really bad to hear. And um, but he was keen to come on and to have a chat with me, but we'll have to just wait to see uh, how his health uh, condition uh, develops. Uh, in the near future, I'll keep in touch with him, but I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm pestering or hounding him uh, at all. Yep. So I want to just keep my distance from that. 
And um, yeah, maybe in the future we'll have Bill on. That'll be one of the the highlights of um, certainly of my podcasting short, very short career. Uh, have someone <laughs> like, someone so great as Bill King. Um, I mean, wow. I mean, and he's the Godfather, mate. Yeah, you would you wouldn't have all this, all these stories, all these. I don't know about the characters, but I'm, I think he invented a lot of the characters. He worked a lot exclusively with um, the game developers as well in producing a lot of the stuff for 40k second edition and Warhammer Fantasy. So I'd love to have him on at some point to talk about that. Um, I think that'd be great, great to do. Oh, wishing him well. Yes, we wish wish Bill well. So, um, or William, William King, Bill King, William King. So, um, hope he comes back. Hope he comes back and has a speedy recovery, and that we can chat to him at some point in the future. But if you're an ex Games Workshop studio member or someone who worked uh, in the um, in the in the company or whatever, and you want to come chat with us, please get in touch. Uh, please reach me uh, at the Craner Command podcast at gmail.com. Again, the I'll leave a link in the show notes. You can contact me to arrange an interview to catch up. That'd be really good to hear from you. Um, and uh, someone also posted up uh, one of the you know the, the lead singer from Bolt Thrower. In Discord, yeah. someone mentioned him that he's part of another group now, another band. He's still going, he's still touring, he's still like producing albums, that kind of thing, which is awesome. Uh, and he was an ex like store manager or something. He played 40k or something back in the day, Warhammer. Uh, I might try to see if I can reach out to him at some point if it's possible um, to get him onto the podcast at some point. That'd be pretty awesome. He'd be pretty pissed yeah. off not using a lot of his uh, bolt bolt uh, bolt thrower clips. <laughs> In samples podcast um, without any kind of you know financial um, financial uh, compensation for that. Everybody, this is Josh at the Chronic Command, and today I brought back Chris. Chris, how are you going, mate? Good. How are you? Good to good. be back. That's good, mate. Um, yeah, Chris is. Uh, I interviewed Chris uh, quite a few episodes ago. Um, Chris is from the United States, and he like he joined our Discord group, and that's how I sort of met up with Chris uh, and his activity online, as he revisited all these old games from the nineties that he had sitting in his collection that had all the miniatures painted. He said just had play the game so um, we started doing a lot of remote gaming through a discord which has been really successful and Chris has ran quite a few games of Space Hulk second edition with me uh, as well as um, uh, Warhammer Quest and looks like Chris is going to go on to do other things like Man of War and playing Warhammer Fantasy Battle so Chris thanks very much again for coming back to the Chronic Command mate sure and today yeah, no. Yeah, today we're gonna. To I guess we're gonna be talking about uh, Space Hulk specifically. So you know, we're gonna be looking through the second edition rules of Space Hulk. Um, now I know that um, you know there's, there's a lot of folks out there who are very interested in the other editions. Uh, first edition, I know, it's very popular. Um, third edition, I think, kind of brought like a reawareness of Space Hulk when it came out in the mid 2000s. But although specifically I'm gonna be walking through the rules of second edition, um, 
I'm, we're going to be kind of looking at an all-encompassing look of, of the game. Uh, a lot of folks will ask the question, um, which version of Space Hulk is the best? I'm not going to touch on that. That is purely personal opinion. Um, I happen to have second edition. I love the look of second edition. Um, and, and I really enjoy the, the rules. Um, but I think if you're playing a game and it's called Space Hulk, you're playing a good game. So I just wanted to kind of get out, get that out of the way. Um, I think most folks probably know what Space Hulk is, or at least have seen it. It's a, um, it's set in the 40K universe and pits uh, gene stealers against uh, space marines in Terminator armor. Um, but I think I will read how the game describes itself. So at, out of the rule book, the game describes itself as it says it is a standalone board game that concentrates on the ever present gene stealer threat. Everything you need to play the game is in the box. The rule system is easy to learn, makes for fast and furious action as you play the many different missions. The mission book contains 18 different missions. Each mission has its own background and tells you where the Space Marines and Gene Stewards begin play, when and where reinforcements arrive, and what each player needs to do to win. Detailed color maps show you how to arrange the boards to recreate the section of the Space Hulk where the mission takes place. Each mission is different from the rest and each presents its own unique challenge. It's a bit like getting 18 different games all in one box. Space Hulk lends itself very well to tournament and competitive play. Try playing each mission through twice in succession with each player commanding first one side, then the other. Having played a mission through both Gene Steelers and Space Marines, you'll soon be able to work out whose performance was best overall. Uh, and I think that description really gives it really touches on all the, the the points of what the game is. It's a, it's very much a board game. Um, everything literally is in one box. So because of that, there's no army collecting. There's no army building. Uh, there's no, um, there's no list building in the in the sense that there's um, no customization. You're not going to be, um, you know, fielding a particular mix of weapons. I think some of the other editions um, have done that, but in second edition, there is, there is none of that. The rules, the, the, the missions will tell you, this is what you start with, and that's, that's what you have. Um, the rules are easy to learn. They're very simple. In fact, on the back of the, on the back cover of the rule book and on the inside back cover, uh, there is a summary of play. And I think for the most part, all the rules are summarized right there. So um, of course the rule book is needed for clarification on things, but really all you need to do is read that summary of play and, and you know how to play. Um, the games are fast for sure. And in fact, it, you can see it encourages you there to play a mission and then re, um, restart it switching sides. Um, and that, that right there tells you that um, the game has asymmetrical play, which means that one side is trying to do one thing while the other side is doing something else. It's not like a, 
it's not like a, a a regular battle game where you're just trying to you know smash the other opponent. Um, however, for each mission, uh, we'll see that it's the Space Marines who are actually trying to do something. Each mission will lay out what exactly um, the Space Marines are trying to do, and each of those missions are very diverse. Um, there are some you know similarities. Some are are more defensive. We're just trying to hold out for a number of turns. Um, there's a lot of missions where you're trying to get from point A to point B, but it is the Space Marines who are trying to do something. The Gene Stealer's objective is just to stop that from happening. So when you switch sides, of course, you know, it's the same, same mission, just from another, the other perspective. Um, yeah, so that description there also kind of pointing to the fact that it's the mission book that really is where the game is at. Um, the mission book contains 18 different missions uh, that are broken down into three different campaigns. Uh, the campaigns are very uh, thematic, I guess is the word I'll say. There's, there's a write-up describing the background. Um, every mission has several paragraphs Describe, describing, you know, the story. And I think it's an interesting story. Um, you know, it really feels like you're, you're reading a fiction novel. Um, then you play out the, out the missions. Um, now, unfortunately, and maybe, maybe not unfortunately, it just so happens to be this way, that the missions, even though they're connected in a narrative sense, there really is no... Um, there's no carryover from one mission to another as far as uh, if you win or lose one mission. Now you are encouraged to play it in a scenario or sorry, in a, a campaign where you'd play through six missions and then kind of keep like a running tally of, you know, who's doing better uh, than the other. And, uh, you know, as far as wins and losses go, now, I will say that in the third campaign, which would be, I guess, missions 13 through 18, those do begin to introduce um, some, some rules for, like, if, if the Space Marine player lost mission one, this is what changes you would make in mission two. And then likewise, mission three, if, if they lost mission two, here's changes you would make. And I think that makes it a little more difficult for the Marines as they go through, because if they continue to lose missions, um, then things just get harder and harder for them. So anyway, that's, um, I just want to give you the kind of a, an overview there of, of the mission book. As far as the rules go, well, let's, let's get into what the game contains. Um, like I said, everything that you need is in the box. You have the rule book, you have the mission book. There are um, 10 Space Marine models uh, in Terminator armor. For the most part, you're going to be using all of those. Uh, most missions, you'll be using two squads of five. Uh, some missions, you only have one squad. For the Gene Stealers, uh, they come with 20 Gene Stealer models. Um, and there's really no limit because Gene Steelers are going to be killed right and left, and you just keep reusing them over and over again. 
Now, the models are, I think they're pretty good quality. They are the, the plastic space, or sorry, the, the plastic Terminator kits that had um, the arms that, would, that could be removable. They kind of like fit into a peg on the shoulder. There's a, like a, a swivel joint at the hip. So, you know, technically they could <laughs> move if they wanted to, but um, there's no need to do that. And uh, yeah, I think they're, they're really good quality. And the, um, I think that's really the beginning of what would become the look of the Terminators that they have you know, carried on since then. Um, the Gene Steelers models are the same Gene Steelers models that we've seen for many, many years. It's a classic look. It's a beautiful look. Um, so as far as mo model quality, um, I think second edition really is, in my opinion, you know, kind of the kind of the top notch. Um, I, I, I guess I'll say this now while I'm on this on the subject. Uh, the first edition models not so good. They're a little more uh, robot-y looking. They have that funny looking dome head. And, um, you know, the, the clip-on uh, flamers that are kind of notorious for. Um, the, the game also comes with a large number of board sections, kind of like puzzle pieces that you're going to put together to, you know, form the different layouts. Um, again, the second edition, beautiful, um, beautiful styling, beautiful colors. They really pop. I'm not sure exactly who did the artwork for the boards. Oh, it looks like uh, Richard Wright and David Gallagher did the component art, and it's it's just top notch. Um, again, first edition, not so much. Uh, third edition, I will say, when it comes to the components, are amazing looking. However, in my opinion, I think they're a little overproduced. The models in third edition are more like sculptures i think than playing pieces but if you're if you can if you can paint well and you can do them up well they look amazing the quality of the board sections in, in third edition and onward are super thick super durable um but all of them are certainly playable and i'm not going to say one's better than the other uh, i think it's just up to you know personal aesthetic look uh, the game also comes with a whole bunch of counters that you're going to be using um, and then some dice. Now, the dice that are used in the game um, it's for second edition are, are special, uh, special made dice for the game. So if, if you think like the Blood Bowl block dice and the, you know, the Space Marine location dice, it's, it's along those same lines. Um, those dice for shooting are, there is one side that is a hit, one side that is called a sustained fire hit, and then the rest are blank. So I know when, when Josh, when you and I played, um, uh, you, didn't, you didn't have those special dice. So we were able to play just using D6s. Uh, a six was a hit and a five was a sustained hit and everything else was a miss. Uh, first edition rules use just d6 and you can certainly you know certainly play with that and the reason i bring that up is because if for some reason you're interested in playing space hulk 
but you don't have um, you don't have the game. The, the rules are probably available somewhere. You can use miniatures for, from whatever. Uh, I believe that the scans of the um, board sections are available somewhere. Um, so yes, it is possible to like print and play your own. Um, I haven't seen too many people do that, but I know it's, it's possible. Um, while I'm on that subject, I might as well say, I've also seen some very beautiful 3D printed um, pieces out there. So it's, you, can, you can get a hold of the game. You can play the game one way or another. Uh, the game also comes with a jam die, which I think is the same jam die as used in um, 40K second edition, I think, and, uh, and Necromunda. Um, and that's about it for the um, for the components. Now, as far as the the gameplay goes, like I said, the mission book is really where the game is focused on. So um, you pick a mission, uh, whether you want to go through a campaign in order or whether you just want to you know randomly open up the pages and, and pick one out. the the mission uh, book will tell you for each mission how to set it up. It has a, a map showing you where the uh, you know, how, how the board section is going to be laid out, where the deployment zones are going to be for the Space Marines, where the uh, entry points are going to be for the, um, for the Gene Stealers. And then a description of the briefing, which is what the Marines have to do to win. The Gene Stealers will be told how many reinforcements they get each turn and it'll basically tell you, you know, to stop the space Marines, you have to do this, which is pretty much the same for every mission. Uh, I think in almost every mission, probably everyone, the space Marine player goes first. So once you've set up, um, the sequence of play is pretty simple. The space Marine phase is first, and it begins with the command points, the command point phase, which is just rolling a D6, and noting what that role was um, comes with this, the games comes with a little chart for tracking that. And these command points are like supplementary points that can be used um, throughout your turn. So during the, the next phase, it is the move and fight phase. And here is where you'll be choosing it, uh, a space marine and then taking actions with that Marine. Each Marine gets four action points that it can use um, you know, to perform all this moving and shooting and, and various other actions. Once you've used up those four points or decide to move on to another um, Space Marine, that initial Space Marine is done. Um, you can't go back to it and use any other remaining action points you have unless you use command points. So for the most part, um, you'll just be using the four command points for each Marine as you move them around. And then oftentimes at the end of the turn, you'll go back through and move and use your, your command points. Um, however, uh, let's say there's a situation where you have a, a Marine 
and he's going to do something for one action point and then another action point and another. So you've used up three action points and now you want to perform an action that takes two action points. You can use its remaining action point and then a command point to do that last action. And, and that's you know, a very common thing to do. Okay, so um, what are the actions? Well, they are um, a bunch that, that involve moving. So moving forward one square is an action point. Turning 90 degrees is an action point. Moving backwards is two action points. And um, turning all the way around 180 degrees is also two action points. Now, in addition to those moving actions, you can also, as part of a move action, you can fire your bolter. And that firing of the bolter when combined with movement does not incur any more action point uh, penalties. So oftentimes, if, if you're able to fire, you might as well move and fire. So there's a lot of, um, you know, turning and firing if, if it's possible. Um, the other thing I want to point out is when, we, when the rules refer to forward, it's referring to the three spaces that are in front of the, um, the space marine, or I should say the three spaces that are adjacent in the front of the space marine. So that would be directly in front and to the front diagonal right and front diagonal left. Um, another action point to fire your storm bolter and we'll get into that when we get into the, um, the combat. Uh, clearing a jam for an action point. Uh, jams occur during um, the gene stealer's turn, which I'll just discuss when we get there. Um, going on overwatch is two action points. And that's something that you'll be using quite a bit throughout the game. And again, I'll get into that when we get into combat. Um, firing a heavy flamer. Now I, I didn't point out, but of the Marines that you get, you'll have um, two sergeants, which are armed with a storm bolter and a power sword. You'll have two heavy flamer Marines, obviously armed with a heavy flamer and a power fist. And then the rest, the other eight Marines are just normal Marines with storm bolter and power fist. Power fist doesn't actually do anything. It's just, it's just kind of there. So like I said, it was two action points to fire the heavy flamer. Um, in this particular edition, second edition, you're given uh, 12 flamer tokens. And a flamer token is the size of a square, um, the size of a, of a space on the board. Um, if when, when you use that flamer, and I might as well just discuss it now while I'm on the topic. Um, when you use a heavy flamer, you nominate a space that you want to flame and then you can put a marker there and you can continue to place markers um, as long as you can see 
And as long as they're within um, a certain range that you have, and you can use those flamers in a in kind of a neat way. And, and maybe I'll wait and discuss that a little later because there's definitely a lot of strategy to that. But what I wanted to point out was once those 12 <clears throat> markers are used, whether you use them all in one massive burst or whether you space it out <clears> through <throat> a number of turns, once all of those tokens are used and you're out of tokens, you can spend this the next action we're going to discuss, which is reloading a heavy flamer. And that's going to require all four action points to do that. Um, the next action you can do is um, close combat. That's something that the Space Marine player does not want to do, but the Gene Stealer definitely does want to do that. <clears throat> and again, that's um, one action point. And then the last thing, uh, opening a, or closing a door. <clears throat> and again, that's one action point for that. So um, during that move and fight phase, like I said, you're going to be um, choosing a Marine, going about doing all the actions that you want to. And then when, um, you know, when you're done with one, you move on to the other, you can use command points throughout. And then when you're done, that's, that's pretty much it. And we go on to the um, record keeping phase, which is just anything, um, anything that's specific to the mission might say, you know, at the end of the turn, you know, you, you, maybe you'll move, um, move a token on, a, on, on the round marker just to keep track of how many rounds, you know, you've, you've been doing something. Or, um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty, there's really not much going on in the record keeping phase. Okay, then we move on to the uh, gene stealer phase. Um, in the gene stealer phase, um, actually, you know, before I get into that, maybe I will discuss um, some more specifics to moving and fighting because I think it's it's worth looking into that because that'll make some of the the gene stealer stuff make more sense. So, like I said, movement is just uh, you know pretty normal um, when you move forward. It's any of those uh, three spaces in front of you, which means you can, you know, move diagonally in that regard. Now, the only time you can't move diagonally is if um, the space that you, the space that you want to move into, if there is something directly to both sides of that diagonal, uh, for instance, another model and maybe a corner or two models. You can't move diagonally through two things. And that goes for you know all, all movement. And that also goes for, um, I'm sorry, I do not believe that goes for line of sight though, <clears throat> uh, which I'll get into line of sight here in just a second. Um, as far as uh, the fighting goes, I mentioned before, it costs one action point. When it comes to shooting, if you want to shoot something, you have to have both line of sight and a fire arc. It has the target has to be in your fire arc for you to be able to shoot at something. The line of sight, the way that works, is a model can see anything that's beside and anything that's in front. So if you imagine a grid. 
um, and the model is standing, you know, you know, facing like north. Anything to the east or you know the left or actually you know the, <laughs> that right side of the model, um, you can see, and anything to the left or west, you can see. Um, so if you were like looking down, a, if you were standing in a in an intersection, you could actually see down that hallway on your side. Um, and that's important when it comes to, uh, you know, the gene stealers being able to sneak up on you. So even though technically the model is not facing you, it can still see down that hall. When it comes to the fire arcs, however, the fire arc, uh, you can think of that as kind of a, like a, a, a 45 degree angle going off from the right and off from the, the left. So that that diagonal that's in front right and diagonal front left, you just keep following that line and that is your, your fire arc. Um, so technically something could be in your line of sight, but not in your fire arc. In order to shoot at something, it has to be in both. Now, one of the kind of ambiguities I'll say that is not really listed in the rules is how line of sight works in like strange situations. So to give you an example, um, there are times when you might be as a Marine player standing in a room and there might be a hallway leading off from that room. And maybe there's a gene stealer coming down that hallway it's very difficult to, to tell exactly when that gene stealer comes into your line of sight because you can't really define a diagonal in that case. And what we had done when we played is, and I've kind of learned this from other games, it's just to, to take like a, a string or a straight edge, a ruler or something, and draw a straight line from the space that you're in to the target. And as long as that goes unimpeded by anything, then you have line of sight. And I, I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's pretty intuitive as far as that goes. Okay, Chris, we'll might just have to take a quick break, mate, before we go any further. Yeah, I see that. Okay, I'm keeping an eye on that, yep. Thank you very much so far for this wonderful um, sure go through through the through the rules for space hulk second edition so well guys we'll be back in just a moment to give chris a bit of a break and uh, see you on the other side we're back again in the room and uh chris has been giving us a very in-depth look at the second edition rules and uh, we've been enjoying that so far um now chris before we get started again uh, yeah yeah, we, we played some remote games and people have absolutely no idea what we're talking about there. Um, it's basically you're setting up the game in your house, in your room, in your games room. And I'm just, I've just got the dice and I don't ha actually have the proper dice. So I've used my sustained fire dice for 40k. Right, right. And my D6s and you're moving my, my pieces, my Marines on the board and we're, we're interacting that way. So, and it was pretty successful, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I yeah, I very successful. I thought um, it, it felt like someone was right there in the room, really. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, Chris just uh, was was very kind in trusting me when I rolled a series of sixes and fives and that kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> which you did <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> I did, I did indeed. So yeah, thanks for thanks for trusting me. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, um, like I said, when 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 we played, we didn't have the sustained fire dice. Um, but if you did have the sustained fire dice, like I said before. Um, on one side, that is a hit. Um, so when you want to fire at something, as long as you have that fire arc and as long as it's with, with um, you, know, you can see your target, um, you can fire. Now there actually is no range limit on a storm bolter, uh, which is the main, you know, the main shooting. Um, so when you want to fire at something, uh, you roll two dice, and you're looking for that hit. Um, if you were to shoot and miss, as long as you did not move in that previous um, shooting action, and as long as you remain stationary for the next shooting action, and as long as you're shooting at the same target, on that second and consecutive shots after that, uh, you will hit on either the hit or the sustained, uh, the sustained fire hit, which in our example uh, was on a five. So it, it pretty much just, you know, increases your chances by another um, whatever, <laughs> whatever chance that would be. Um, so that's pretty much how, how normal uh, shooting works. Now there's another kind of shooting that actually takes place um, in the Gene Stealer's turn, and that is Overwatch. And anybody who's played um, 40K, second edition or, or others, uh, may be familiar with Overwatch. And like I said before, it's, it takes two action points to set yourself on Overwatch. Um, and I should point out now that once you are on Overwatch, you can't do anything else in your action. So you couldn't put a Marine um, on Overwatch and then later in that turn decide, well, actually now I want to move him or turn him. To do that, you would negate your, your Overwatch. Uh, the game comes with a bunch of Overwatch counters. You just put a little counter next to him and he's on Overwatch. And what that means is in a Gene Stealer's turn, if a target would present itself, if, if a, a gene stealer would move into your line of sight and into your fire arc, um, you can take a shot at him. To do that, same thing, you're rolling two dice, you're looking for a hit. Uh, the difference here is there are no sustained fire um, rolls in an overwatch shot. So you only are going to have that, um, you know, that D6 chance on, on two dice uh, to hit. Uh, in addition to rolling those two fire dice on Overwatch, you also have to roll the, uh, the jam dice, which, like I said before, there is a one in six chance of that jam symbol coming up. And if the jam symbol comes up, um, that's it. You can't, you can't shoot anymore. And usually that means trouble for the, the Space Marine player. Um, and that also then clues you in on what that j clear jam action is going to do. So on your turn, you know, again, you can spend one action point to clear that jam. 
Um, the other kind of combat <clears throat> um, that I might as well get into now is uh, close combat. Again, close combat is not something that the Space Marine player wants to do. Um, but the Gene Stealer, of course, that is everything he wants to do. When you're in close combat, you have to um, have an enemy um, directly in front of you. Now, up until this point, front just meant in any of those three squares in front of you. But for close combat, you have to be facing um, that target directly in front of you. You don't have to. Um, you don't have to be facing um, your enemy to be hit, but in order to hit, you have to to be in front of him. So what I mean by that is, um, when you engage in combat, whether you initiated it or not, um, the Space Marine player will, will will roll one die, and the Gene Stealer will roll three dice. The high, the highest um, result uh, will win the combat. If there's a tie, um, nothing happens. If, um, yeah, let me see if I can explain this correctly. If you win combat as the defender and you are not facing the genes or your opponent, I should say, for free, you automatically turn to face your opponent. So in an, uh, an, an additional or a, a future close combat um, action, now that you're facing your opponent, you can, if you win, um, destroy your opponent. So in other words, um, you only actually defeat your opponent in close combat, if you were facing them when you uh, successfully rolled that high roll, I hope that that makes sense. But um, that's that's just you know that's how things work, and it's pretty intuitive. You know, obviously, if if a gene stealer comes and smacks you in the back, uh, even if you successfully warded him off, you can't hit him back. Now there is one special character, the sergeant who is armed with a power sword and the power sword is gonna give him a plus one to his die roll in close combat. And it's also going to allow him to parry a gene stealer attack, which just means you're gonna force the gene stealer to re-roll one of his dice. It just gives the sergeant a little um, edge up in close combat. Okay, so the other, um, the, the next thing in close combat to look at is the flamer. Um, oh, you know what? Let me back up because I missed one thing. On Overwatch, um, I said before that when it comes to shooting, there's no range. On Overwatch, there is a range, and that is uh, that is 12, 12 squares. So um, if you're looking down a long, long, long hallway and you're on Overwatch, as soon as that gene stealer enters a square 12 spaces away from you, uh, that's when you can begin to actually fire on him. Okay, the way flamers work, like I said, it costs two action points to fire a flamer. Um, and unlike the storm boulders, you cannot move and fire a, a heavy flamer. Um, a heavy flamer can also not be used on Overwatch. Again, 
the maximum range is 12 and you have 12 shots before you have to spend um, a reload action to get those, uh, to get another 12 shots back. You get one reload. So technically you're gonna have 24 tokens uh, that you can use throughout the course of the mission for each uh, heavy flame marine. Uh, like I said, when you, when you spend those two, um, you can nominate a point that you can see that's within 12 and you can put a uh, flame counter on there. If you want, you can actually um, stack up flame tokens. Uh, the reason you might want to do that is because at the end of every round, um, I'm sorry, at the beginning of your next you're going to be removing a flame marker. So you can stack those up, um, but only a maximum of two. So that would just give you like an extra, an extra turn of, of something. Now, what I, why that's important is because flame markers, they will prevent a gene stealer from moving into that square. So you can kind of uh, box off certain areas just by plopping down a flame marker. Now, if you wanna put um, flame markers in more than one square, you have to chain them together, which means just putting another marker down in an adjacent square that you can also see and is in within range. So you can't fire one down a, around a corner. You have to be able to see them. Um, and this is, this is helpful or useful for you know, taking out multiple, um, um, you know, taking out multiple gene stealers. Uh, it's also helpful for blocking off multiple, um, you know, points of entry if you're if you're able to see a couple in your line of sight. Um, so that's that's basically uh, how flamers work, and I think that's pretty much how everything works for uh, the gene stealers. I'm sorry for the for the marines. Okay, now when it comes to the gene stealers. Uh, there's a bunch of things to kind of understand how they work. First of all, gene stealers can be represented in either a what is called a blip counter or um, the actual gene stealer model itself. So typically, um, the gene stealers will start off as blips in your, um, I think they call it an entry area. So at the beginning of the mission, it'll tell you uh, that you'll start off with a number of blips drawn randomly, and they're going to be uh, placed in, in, in certain places marked on the map. Now, these blips um, on, the, on the bottom of them or on the flip side, they'll have a number anywhere from um, one to six. Um, three, I think, is probably the most common. Uh, six, there's only maybe two of those there's a couple fives maybe some fours um, but usually the threes the twos i think are probably the most common denomination um, there's also a couple uh zero markers and it's kind of funny because these are called uh, malfunctions and it makes it sound like it's a bad thing for the space marine you know it's a malfunction of the sensor but it's actually a good thing because uh, you know, you're hoping for a zero. It's a, it's a malfunction for the for the gene sealer, if anything. So you take these um, these blips. Uh, they're placed on the on the um, in the entry areas, and much like the um, 
the Space Marines, the Gene Stealers are given a number of action points per turn, and that is six, six action points per blip and per um, space, uh, sorry, Gene Stealer model. Now, if you, you can move these blips, um, even though they actually represent a number of Gene Stealers, you move them, you know, kind of like, together and so like if a blip says three or as you're moving this blip around you're technically moving like three um three gene stealers but the, the space screen player doesn't know how many you have there um one thing that i'll i'll just clarify right now is this idea of how the blips move or turn into um the gene stealer models and there's two, two terms to describe how they, how they can convert. And that is voluntary and involuntary. So for a voluntary uh, conversion, and that's what you want to do as a Gene Stewart player, you will, before you move the blip, you'll flip it over, reveal what the number is, <clears throat> and place a Gene Stealer in that space. And then, um, in any spaces that are adjacent to that space. So if you're moving down a hall and you flip over um, you have a three, that's going to be one in the space that the blip was in and one in front and one behind. Now, if that had been a four, you would lose that extra um, gene stealer because there was no place to put them. That's why it can be really tricky to try to convert them at the right time um, you know, at a, a T-junction or, or in a room. Uh, so those, those sixes are, uh, you know, definitely nice to see, but I've, I know when we played, sometimes I would just end up losing some of them because I had no place to put them. Uh, I'm sure there's a, a, you know, a great strategy behind using blips, but I'm, I'm still kind of figuring all that out. Uh, you can also voluntarily convert a blip in your, uh, entry area. So before you even put them on the board, you can, in the entry area, convert them <clears throat> and move them on. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the strategic benefits are of keeping a gene stealer as a blip. Uh, besides, you get you know to move them freely. It also you know hides the numbers from the space marine player. <clears throat> but I'm still kind of discovering the strategy over you know when and how to convert them. Um, now, I discussed voluntary conversion. Involuntary conversion would be if something happens that would create, that would, would cause that blip to enter line of sight of a Marine. So if a space Marine moves around a corner and now can see it or um, shoots or opens a door and, um, you know, reveals a blip, then those... Uh, gene stealers are immediately um, converted. Those blips are immediately converted into gene stealers. However, the uh, Space Marine player gets to choose where they'll be placed and uh, what direction they'll be facing. So it's, you know, it's often a good idea to, if, if that happens, you want to face them the opposite direction to force them to have to turn um, you know, to get where they want to go. Um, Let's see, what next? 
Um, when it comes to, to the actual um, gene stealer phase, in, uh, first there is the reinforcement phase, which uh, according to the mission will tell you how many blips you're gonna add onto the board, again, in any of those entry areas. And then you begin taking actions with them, um, just like you did with the Space Marines, six action points, you can move you know, the blips, the, the models around, um, and it's pretty straightforward. As a Gene Stewart player, you just wanna get in close as quickly as possible. Um, however, there is definitely strategy involved there um, you know, in trying to sneak up on and get as close to the Marine without, um, you know, without really engaging him. You want to try to force that Marine player to, to make those overwatch shots to, to jam and move up, um, you know, as, as quickly and in, as in mass as possible. So, you know, just to give you an example, uh, there were times, you know, when we would play, you'd have a, G, uh, a Space Marine on Overwatch, and he'd just be in an excellent position. And I might move a Gene Stealer around a corner, which would trigger his Overwatch shot, and he would miss. And I move closer, and he would miss. And I would move closer. And at some point, I would have to gauge, at what point do I want to stop moving? so that I can use that, uh, that gene stealer who's leading the front as kind of like a, a roadblock or a, or a shield so that the other gene stealers could move up behind. Because once, once that lead gene stealer stops moving, there's no more overwatch shots being triggered as gene stealers flood up behind him. So that's just a little point of, of strategy you know, that I learned. And um, I'm certainly not a, I'm not a tactical genius when it comes to this game. And let me just say this, I'm sure there's probably uh, articles out there on strategy for Space Hulk. If there are, don't search for them, don't look. It's so much more fun to explore the game on your own and to try to you know, come up with this on your own because from playing my first game to playing the most recent game I played, I'm learning stuff every time I play and I'm just having a blast with it. And I think if I read an article that would tell me how to do it the best, it would just have sapped the fun right out of it. Okay, so um, I guess that's pretty much it as far as the Gene Stealer turn. Um, at the end of the Gene Stealer turn, is, again, is a record keeping phase. Anything that the uh, mission tells you to do, you do. And that's pretty much, um, I think that's pretty much it. One thing I did not mention, um, I said before that you can take an action to open a door. You can also shoot out a door. Um, and again, a door is shot just like a, a, um, a gene stealer. You have to roll a hit on it. Um, doors are probably more for the benefit of the gene stealer because they can block line of sight um, the game also, I did not mention, in, in addition to coming with all these doors, comes with a couple bulkheads. Bulkheads cannot be shot, and the Gene Stealer 
Um, I don't think the Gene Steeler can open a bulkhead. Actually, in, in none of the missions that we played, bulkheads did not come into play in any of them. Um, so I'm sorry if I don't recall off the top of my head if a Gene Steeler can open a bulkhead or not. But I know that it cannot be, um, it cannot be shot or destroyed. So that, I think, is just about everything for... Um, you know, for the rules of, of Space Hulk. Now, I do want to point out, because I know someone's going to want to know, what the differences are between second edition and first edition. There's a lot of people that love first edition. Um, some of the things that are different about the rules. Okay, first of all, in first edition, uh, in the command phase, instead of rolling a die and having that um, those command points seen by both players, uh, the Space Marine draws a, a token, um, one through six, and keeps it hidden. And that's how many uh, command points he can use. As he uses command points, he just keeps track of how many he's using and keep, makes a note of it for the both players to see. And then he can actually use those command points in the Gene Stealer turn. Now, I personally don't like that because um, I'm not a big fan of like reactions in games. And what I mean is like a player does something and then another player says, oh, wait, 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 before you do anything else, I'm gonna react to that. Um, I'm typically not a fan of that because I think sometimes it can get a little, a little dicey, you know, if, um, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Then at the end of the Gene Stealer phase, um, the Space Marine player reveals how many command points he actually had. And if he makes a mistake and actually uses more than he has, he immediately loses, which is just kind of a weird, just a weird little bookkeeping thing. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. It is kind of cool that it keeps the... Um, Gene Steeler player from knowing exactly what could happen. It, you know, it gives kind of that ace in a hole that the um, space marine player might have. So I can see the benefits of that. The other big change, I think, for um, the game, well, one of the big changes is how shooting works in first edition. There are no special um, dice for shooting. Instead, you just roll D6s. And when it comes to sustained fire, with second edition, you go from a one in six chance to a two in six chance. And that's on two dice. So I don't know what the math is on that. In first edition, the first uh, round of fire, you need a six. The second round of fire, you need a five, just like second edition. But you can continue third round of firing now it's a four, five, or six. Fourth round of firing, now it's a three, four, five, or six. And it just, you know, it keeps it keeps stacking up that way. Um, yes, that makes sustained fire more powerful in, um, in first edition, but I kind of like it being limited just to that five or six. Now, I think when they come up with those changes to offset, um, to offset that, they also 
change the rules for flamers. So in first edition, when you flame something, you don't flame individual sections, you flame an entire board section, which again, that's a little weird to me anyway, because some board sections are um, five spaces large, some are nine spaces large, some are one space large. So it's a little, you know, a little tricky to, and, and you can certainly, you know, move Steelers around in such a way to, to avoid, um, you know, the space between player capitalizing on that. Again, it's, it's an aesthetic thing. I'm sure there's all kinds of, um, you know, people out there who have thoughts on, you know, which is, which is better or worse. But for me, I personally like second edition. I like the look of it. Um, if I had first edition, I may easily like that. I think that the version that you like is probably going to be the one that you connect with, the one that you fall in love with. And if you love playing whatever, more power to you. Either way, no matter what you play, um, Space Hulk, an amazing game. I love it. Um, and I don't know, Josh, if you want to kind of chime in with some of your just impressions of the game or thoughts on on playing through the missions. Yeah, um, uh, just firstly, thanks very much, Chris, for your time to go through the rules and that kind of thing, because it's quite, quite a laborious uh, effort that you put into doing a lot of research in presenting the rules as you did. So um, hopefully that will give people a lot of understanding of what Space Hulk is, if they've never seen it or played it before and how it plays out. And like you said, there are sort of online resources that um, like the Facebook group Space Hulk that you can, you know, you can find lots of files that you can down download and print out your own uh, either 3D printed Space Hulk, which I, I shared some pics on Discord with some guy who, who has done that, which looks incredible. Um, and just use all your own collection of Marines. And of course you need gene stealers for it, whatever, but um, yeah, you, you can sort of put together your own sort of um, homebrew edition of Space Hulk if if uh, if the getting the originals are sort of out of reach for you financially, which is uh, probably the biggest concern here because they're out of print. Um, but yeah, our experience of actually playing the game, uh, I was sort of you know curious about Space Hulk having played third edition and having some mixed feelings about the game. Uh, I wouldn't say that I I love Space Hulk um, probably because of its uh, uh, one, one, for one thing, the gene stealers are just not really an attractive proposition for me to play. I much prefer playing the Marines shooting up the gene stealers. And of course, it's all, you know, the, the, the Space Hulk the game was themed on the Aliens movie when it first came out, because I think that's when it was first sort of made. It was made in the late, uh, late 80s. Yeah, 89, I think. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can see, you can identify with the theme. It became very pop popular and became like a cult classic and it's still regarded as being one of the most, uh, you know, favoured games of anybody's sort of gaming history. They all got in through Space Hulk. And um, having played second edition, because I, I looked at Chris's uh, copy and I checked out online and I liked the visuals, uh, the board art, the, the, the miniatures look nice. And um, of course, it's got that, you know, sort of 90s, uh, flavor to it and uh, having played through the first six missions I've got to say I was really quite taken with it um, uh, yeah it, it sort of builds up this tension within the game being the marine player that every decision you make is 
is in some way stressful, but then rewarding if, if you can pull it off or it puts you in these situations where you're under a lot of pressure. Um, you can see the gene cells mounting up and building up in numbers. And then you sort of got to, in one sense, hope that the dice gods favor you and you can roll really good rolls and start chewing through some of the gene stealers um, and succeeding in your missions and that kind of thing. So I enjoyed, I really thoroughly enjoyed all the six missions that we played uh, in initial, um, uh, that was like a camp, it's like a linked campaign. So basically you had right. main characters of your captains and they would lead their squads through the, through the hulks and you had to accomplish certain things like, um, uh, what, I think the first one you got to burn and cleanse where you just got to like take your heavy flamer guy and sort of just incinerate one of the rooms at the end. Um, the flame using the flame was fun too. I think that's probably the most controversial thing that um, people were sort of in two minds about. And unfortunately, Space Hulk Second Edition wasn't a commercial success for Games Workshop, and it flopped big time, uh, which is sad to see because um, I think it, it's still in its core a great game. And uh, and I, I I like to iterate that the Flamer, having tried Third Edition and Second Edition now, I think the Flamer is excellent. Um, in second edition, I, I think yeah. it really is. It's very tactical. You, it, I think it's very tactical. You can use it offensively. You can use it defensively. Um, yeah, I, I, I prefer it in the, the second edition flavors myself. It's it's better because like, you know, okay, you've got the temptation in, in first and third that you can, you know, you can cover an entire uh, room section with the flame, with the flamer. But then... The opportunities of actually happening are quite limited. And sorry, you can take an entire corridor section as well. You can just take one section out with the flamer with one shot. But with the with the templates, you're sort of blocking off individual spaces. And then you've got more chances of just turning around the corner, dropping templates on four squares or five squares, whatever it might be, uh, trying to kill as many gene cells as you can. And then they can't actually move through those spaces. And it, 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 yeah, it's, I like the fact that you can just drop one template. It basically blocks that um, tile from ever being entered. Or if you do enter it, you're going to probably die. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it has these sort of error denial kind of uh, uh, tactics to it that I quite like. And it didn't really deter from the experience at all. I didn't feel like I'm losing out on being able to take an entire uh, section of the the map out, which you can do anyway. You can expand as many templates. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We we could have easily have played this game with first edition rules. Yeah, um, you can play first edition with second edition rules. Whatever, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. You can play a hybrid of them. I mean, you can the um, the first edition rules incorporates a timer, so the right. marine player only gets I think like three minutes to take a turn, and you could easily incorporate that into into any of the versions, I think. I don't know if I'd want to, but um, it certainly would would ramp up the um, difficulty, especially if it's a mission you're familiar with. Um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to try. But um, yeah, I think in final thoughts, I think I, I really enjoyed it. I look forward to coming back and playing second edition with you, mate, in the second part. Now, there's a, like another set of missions, isn't there? So there's like another 10 to go through, I think. Oh, no, there's another... There's another, there are uh, three campaigns. Each campaign has six. So we, we played six. There's still another 12 more to go. Awesome. Well, and I want to point out, um, in case anyone does not know this, again, we're talking just second edition here. 
there's a number of white dwarf issues that include some like mini campaigns or extra special rules. Uh, there's one I know, I think it's issue, um, issue 199, 200, 201. Um, each of those missions um, or each of those issues, I should say, is focused on a different chapter of Space Marines. So there's a there's one on the Deathwing, uh, the Archangel Deathwing Company, and has a little, you know, some missions there. There's um, one for the Space Wolves that gives special rules for like assault cannons and chain fists. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of cool a lot of cool things out there if you want to expand even further on the game. For for second edition, the first edition has so many special rules, so many expansions that it's like, to me, that's a little overwhelming. But um, if you like options, there, there, there you go, it's out there. Yep, and uh, also if you want to see the game in action, you can check out Guerrilla Games on YouTube. Uh, oh, right, right. Arthur, yeah, he does a lot of these kind of throwback Thursday videos and he's doing a series of the second edition Space Hulk rules and he's doing the of Fenris, I think it is the Space Wolf one that came in White Dwarf. Yeah, yep, that was yep, that's issue uh, two hundred, I think. Right. So I'll drop links in the show notes, um, and so people can go check those out if they want to have a look at what, how, or you know how Second Edition plays out, and maybe it could be for them, or could not be for them, whatever. But we gave it a best shot. We enjoyed, don't we, Chris? So we're going to yeah. continue on our campaign uh, next time. We can catch up and do it, mate. So. If anybody, if anybody out there on Discord is interested in checking the game out, testing it out, hit me up and I'll I'll gladly host a game so you can see what it's like. Or or hop in when Josh and I play. You can kind of um, you know, we wouldn't mind an extra player to move yeah, some stuff around. For sure. Like I think last time we had um, an extra player because we had like I had two squads, so we had another person playing the other squad, and so we had, you know actually three people playing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think that's a really good idea. If people want to come and check it out, uh, again, check out the show the show notes and you'll see a Discord link there. Come and join us on Discord and check out what's happening there because it is a quite a thriving, growing community on Discord now, which is really good to see. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to make remote plays more of a, a thing that not only me and Chris do, but more, more other people start engaging and, and using that facility there, where you can you can host games yourself or be part be a participant in a game at some time in the future. So yeah, it's an excellent resource, and I highly encourage anyone to take take advantage of it. You know, just being able to hook up and play with anybody from around the world. It's great. Yep, it's awesome. Really, really good experience. So, anyhow, Chris, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up here today, mate. So, thank you very much again for your time. Yep, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your free time tonight, mate. In final closing, um, one question. Did you actually manage to paint up that last Necromunda model? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe we won't talk about that. I think <laughs> I did. I, I did. And it just did not turn out. He, he's, he's on his way to the, the stripping bat, I'm afraid. Um, oh, wow. It just didn't turn out the way I wanted. So Right. So it's not actually paint being applied. It's actually paint being removed in this stage. So yeah, yeah. To my shame, it just didn't live up to my expectation. That I wanted, I, I set the bar high for myself, and he just didn't live up. So he's going to be repurposed. Cool. Well, if people, so I will, 
I will finish him and and then uh, maybe play a remote game of Necromunda. So that's that yeah. option's out there. I'd love to see that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so people didn't know that in our Discord group, we just finished up and wrapped up for June a Necromunda sort of painting challenge. It's not a painting competition. It's a challenge that people get their, their gangs out and start painting them or refresh their old gangs that they painted, you know, 25 years ago, 30-odd years ago, and give them a bit of a touch-up. So we did that. So uh, they're always good and fun and interactive for the community to get behind and involved with. So, uh, yeah, so we have got nothing for July because I forgot. So we're going to do something for August when that rolls around and we'll see what we're going to do there. But anyhow, Chris, we'll have to wrap it up, mate. So you take care of yourself. Uh, enjoy your hobby time tonight while you're in your man cave. Yeah. It's a bachelor. Okay, and thank you. I'll catch you, up. I'll catch you on Discord at some time in the future, mate. Yep, I'll see you later. Thanks, Mike. Okay, take care.